This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porncast where we want to make sure that you know new and interesting words every week, like the plural of clitoris, which is not clitorisis, it's not clitori, it's the original Greek clitoropodes. I'm your co-host, Yvette Dontremont. Alice, how's your clitoropodes doing today? You know, I think you're right on this. I mean, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, they all said clitoropodes. Look it up. Yeah, it's a fact. I read it on Twitter, so it's true. Clitoropodes, make it happen, people. Would lesbian porn be clitoropodes porn? Oh, I hope so. Oh, yeah. Can we make it a thing? I want that to be a whole new category on the porn and, and on Pornhub. You know, we already have Ryan Creamer doing wholesome porn. Why can't we rename lesbian porn to clitoropodes porn? I feel that's a thing we can make happen. Leroy Myers, get on this. All we need is enough people tagging the metadata in their videos of clitoropodies. Hashtag clitoropodies. Exactly. Hashtag clitoropodies. If we get enough people doing it, it becomes its own subcategory. That's how it works. It's like how subreddits happen. Someone just throws a hashtag down and all of a sudden there are millions of people looking at these clitoropodies. (laughs) We're leading in hard to this. I'm just saying, I also believe that the plural of octopus is octopodies, which is its own category of porn too. We are all about the tentacles here. All about the tentacles. Do you know anyone who's ever caught herpes from a tentacle? Well, no, because I don't know anyone who's fucked one. But still, but still, that is some good wholesome porn. Yet. Yeah. Who knows? The day I is mean, young. we have so much time. There's so many things in porn we haven't discussed yet. Our clitoropodies are up for it. So speaking of things that we're up for. Hey. Uh, so you and I watch a lot of porn. However, I don't think either of us can ever call ourselves sex addicts, right, Yvette? I never have, and I I think it's because of one main reason. I think we're both too broke to be sex addicts. I think there's like a a minimum (laughs) amount of money that you have before you come out into the media and say, I'm struggling with my sex addiction. No, you're a horny. If you're below a certain point, you're a cheating, horny piece of shit. But if you have money, all of a sudden, sex addict. I'm not looking at you at all, Tiger Woods. So... 200k to threshold or 2 million? You know what? Depends on who you ask, because I believe if you ask certain politicians, like 250,000 makes you middle class, which that's a lie. But just say we are getting all the rage out today. All of it. (laughs) Well, we have someone all the way from Germany here. So I don't know how. You know what? I know how we got her. The Internet. Oh, the Internet's wonderful. We have Medita Oeming, who and did I butcher your last name? I hope I didn't this time. (laughs) Nobody can ever get it right from the English-speaking world, so you're good. I'm learning German now, so I'm sure I'll screw it up. But what's uh, how's the proper pronunciation? It's actually ö, öming. Oh, öming. Oh. oh, so we have we have an umlaut. We don't, but it does sound like an umlaut. <laughs> so, Medita, you are a scholar from Germany. You study porn addiction, feminist porn, porn myths, porn and its impact within the media. So, let's talk about all the things addiction and sex addiction and porn addiction. Is it a thing? (laughs) There's contention about that even on if porn and sex addiction are a real condition. So please impound us on this. Short answer. And then we're going to go on to the long answer. (laughs) (laughs) In essay form. (laughs) Double spaced. The short answer is it's not a thing, at least not in the way that the media is trying to make us believe it is a thing. That's my short answer. (laughs) That was totally not the answer I expected. So somebody who's studying it says, not exactly. I, I love this. It's going to be a feisty little day. <laughs> 
Well, I'm studying it not to prove it, but I'm studying it to deconstruct it. So it actually oh, wow. makes sense. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's as opposed to what some people think science is, you're not going in with your idea fixed. You're looking at what the research and the data says, and then we figure out what's happening from there. Exactly. So let's start with what does the media get wrong of what sex and or porn addiction is or what do they say it is? And then let's talk about what it actually is, could be or isn't. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think it's important to understand that. So I often call it the porn addiction narrative because I think that's how it works. It's a story that's being told over and over again. And I'm a cultural scholar. I'm not a doctor. Like I'm not a neuroscientist. So I can't tell you anything about the biochemical process going on in your brain or something like that. But I can tell you something about the story that is being told about these things. And like the biggest part of the population does not read medical journals or studies extensively, but they read the headlines and the articles at best that come with those headlines saying more and more people are being porn addicted. There's a wave of porn addiction rolling over America. Porn is now a public health hazard. And it always says the science is there. The <laughs> oh science God. is there. Just hearing it in context still makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> This is the downfall of civilization. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's a super panicky discourse that works with people's anxieties around sex, about youth, about children, about women. Oh, my God. All the things we're trying to protect and think of, like to think of as victims, are being used in this narrative. And that's one of the things that I think is dangerous and all of these articles, they always say the science is there. Studies have shown, um, but the science is not there. So even among those who are experts. It's like, but have they really shown it? Really? No, they haven't. There's a lot of debates going on within the community of doctors and those who are actually experts. Like most of the results that they find show some kind of correlation, but they don't show any causality. So... If I'm exaggerating, it's like, we asked 100 rapists, do you watch porn? 99 of them said yes. So watching porn makes you being Only a rapist. Only 99? <laughs> oh, no. There was one rapist who didn't watch porn? I'm just saying There's that not out of shock one, that rapists you know. didn't watch porn. It's just... It's just that everyone watches <laughs> porn, and I refuse to believe otherwise. There's always the odd one out. That one just couldn't bring himself to say it. He's like, look, if I'm going to see sex that's horrible and violating, I want it live. I don't want it recorded. I kind of want to know, how bad is the porn he's watching? He's like, look, I'll admit to rape, but I won't admit oh my to my God. browser history. Oh, Jesus. How bad is it? Jesus. There have to be people that don't admit to watching any porn because all the porn they watch is horrible and just beyond the pale perverted which in that case i want to know which porn it is send us the links please <laughs> i just i want to know what do you think is in ted cruz's porn browser history because he said that there's nothing in the bible that says that you're allowed to masturbate and i want to know how oh, i'm sure up. there's just boring shit in his oh, yeah. porn history <laughs> <laughs> you know we have heard the rumors that sex workers in dc have said that republicans are freaks in bed so it's apparently they're uh, that's where they get all of their pent-up weirdness out you gotta let loose somewhere. Look, all I'm saying is when you reach across the aisle, you might get a reach around. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Reach to your left. There's a hand waiting for you. But 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're correct, because the thing is, the American Association of like Sexuality Educators, I know they took a stance saying on the issue that, you know, while there is problematic sexual behavior, and, you know, that certainly exists and needs to be addressed, there isn't sufficient empirical evidence to support the classification of sex addiction or a porn addiction as a mental health disorder. So out of curiosity, can we talk about, let's say, the three models of addiction? Because I'm sure that our listeners wouldn't really be familiar with that. Where's the line scientifically between addiction and someone who's just a little bit too much of a fan of something? Then again, you don't really say anyone's a fan of heroin, so. No, that's so true, but that's exactly the point. So we start framing something as an addiction once we think of it as a bad thing. That's the first thing. And then, for example, we sometimes say somebody's addicted to shopping or somebody's addicted to sports. We sometimes say that. We don't really mean it, but we may think about it. But since we don't think of sports or shopping as something bad in and of itself, we would never go on from there and say, let's ban shopping malls or let's ban the gym or let's sue the owner of the gym or you know we don't blame the thing in itself but we're saying it's the problem that this person is having (laughs) buddy stop it sorry i have a very loud (laughs) tiny dog in the background here who just wants you to know that he agrees with you i'm sure he's barking in agreement he is as stupid as he is cute and look at this face he is really fucking cute so he's very stupid (laughs) he's adorable (laughs) Sorry. Where were we? Um, Modalities of addiction. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's also one thing I would criticize about public discourse is just this word being used all the time. And the whole discourse about porn addiction is like talking about drug addiction. It sounds like it's a substance addiction. And and that's also the way it's being treated. So it's being treated with abstinence. It's being treated with a 12-step program. So it's very much compared to... Oh, my God. Really? Yep. (laughs) When you give yourself away to a higher power for porn addiction, how does that work? I mean, it tells you everything about where this is coming from. There's some weird stuff with Angela Merkel involved. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not yet. You said give yourself to a higher power in Germany. Sorry. I'm just saying she has a Ph.D. in physical chemistry, which is the one class I ever got a C in in college. So I'm just saying she's a wizard. Well, I would love to see Angie's porn history. Oh, my God. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, the language that they're using. So, for example, comparing it to a substance-based addiction. So that's like saying porn is a crack cocaine of sex addiction. And you'll have a lot of people who are the anti-porn sex addiction crowd that overwhelmingly endorse that. But, you know, while there are anecdotal claims of people, quote, needing porn or experiencing some vague withdrawal symptoms, you know, there's no empirical evidence whatsoever that you needed to function, um, you know, like you would with a drug. I don't know about you, but I get, quote, withdrawal symptoms when I don't see porn for long enough. It's that I would like to have another orgasm aided by porn. That's my withdrawal symptom. But I also got that when I'm like watching a show that I love on Netflix and then I can't watch it for three weeks. I feel the same way or in a similar way. You know, I just think we should be critical about our media consumption, but I would love to see us being equally critical about every kind of media. And the fact that we're just this critical about porn and not about the news or sports or Netflix or other media shows that it has something to do with sex. And there are also scares around other media consumptions, but we never try to ban that media. 
And that's the thing that's happening with porn. So it's being used as an instrument to push an anti-porn agenda and be like, this is why we need to get rid of porn because it's something bad and it has a bad effect on people. And um, that's what I find most annoying about it. I love thinking about how we consume porn and what function it has for us and why we're watching the porn we're watching. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. He's just sitting there licking my hand. <laughs> It's, I mean, that's, I am the dog's addiction, it seems. I will destroy everything you love if you're not here. (laughs) And we'd never think of dogs as something we're addicted to, even though it also makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, being so used to them in some way. And I don't know. I mean, when it comes to addiction, I mean, the model that's held widely amongst most scientists and psychologists is uh, the model of it being a brain disease. You know, the model argues that some substances and activities are addictive because of their effects on the brain. So yes, buddy licking Yvette's hand. You I know, mean, it's made me... Considering how many, yeah, brain cells he has left, he's probably, <laughs> you know, there's some sort of effect on the brain there. <laughs> the whatever germs are sitting on my hands are screwing up his his little tiny microbiome. I'm sure <laughs> of it. Yeah. But in that case, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. And, you know, there's treatment to help the patient. Maybe not, you know, your patient, the dog, but, you know, in general, you know, (laughs) also potentially with a biological and behavioral therapy treatment. You know, it's not like um, a morality-based addiction either where people are like, well, you just have no willpower or morality. (laughs) So I studied the toxicology of opiate addiction for my master's thesis, actually. And one of the things that struck me was that when your body starts to get tolerant to opiates, it's because the receptors in your body uh, for those opiates actually change shape slightly. There's a a small, I don't know if mutation is the word I want to use, but there is a, a physical change that causes you to become more tolerant and kind of more dependent on the substance. And, you know, you'll hear people say that we develop, I guess, a tolerance or um, our desensitization uh, when we see more and more extreme acts in porn. And I wonder if there's any way that lines up that's been scientifically proven that's similar to the way that we become tolerant or dependent on opiates. Do you, do you have anything that you can speak on to that effect? Again, the science is not there. I can just repeat that over and over again. There's always, you can always find some study (laughs) (laughs) that's like, this is showing this and that. But as I said, it's usually just a correlation, not a causality that is being shown. It's often not a representative group and so on and so on. So a lot of the research that's out there is also just not reliable So we need to be super careful about that. And doing empirical research on porn is extremely difficult. Like, you know, how do you even if you begin to think of how do I test this development? How do I test what is necessary to arouse somebody? It's tricky in so many ways. And especially if we just do it through questionnaires and, you know, people talking about themselves, answering questions, because sometimes we even don't know these things about ourselves. And then, of course, the question is whether we're being honest about it. There are so many things why research on porn is difficult. A lot of these studies are biased in the first place from the way they ask questions, the way they set it up. But in most of these things, the more important question is actually what is framed as, for example, violent porn or what is framed as problematic behavior, you know? So that's already a moment of 
of opinion, of interpretation. It's not like there is a truth out there of what is being problematic. For example, anal sex is often considered as problematic sexual behavior. And it should not be because it's Wait, wonderful. <laughs> but sex is considered problematic. Like, I, wow, I didn't realize that something so delightful could be considered bad. Ah, my face is melting. <laughs> How? I think the people that make these declarations are people who did not learn to use enough lube the first time that they tried it and are mad about it. Exactly. And they are always straight people. <laughs> you see, this is why I always tell people, look at what exactly the research says, who were like, how many subjects, how things were tested, yeah. how people were surveyed. Ah, this blows my mind. And the, the same holds true for casual sex, for example, or for having a lot of different sex partners. So often if you go into these studies in details, you'll see, yes, they could prove that there is a higher rate of problematic sexual behavior in people watching porn. Because if you frame problematic sexual, you know, I mean, yes, people who watch a lot of porn might be more likely to also have more sex in real life, to be more experimental in real life sex um, than maybe somebody staying away from that. But that's not proving anything. And it's not proving any detrimental yeah. effect on somebody. It's just, if at all, telling us something about what kind of people are watching porn. But even that... I find hard to believe because basically everybody's watching porn. I think the thing that will surprise people is that women tend to watch, in some cases, more extreme uh, penetration porn than men do. I forget where I saw the stat, but it was fairly recently. And I think, oh, it was at the Pornhub Awards. Uh, it was mentioned that about twice as many women as men watch double penetration porn. I know that that's not considered that extreme anymore uh, because we live in wonderful times. But I think that it would surprise people that women are not just watching this, but they're watching it more than men. But also we have so little understanding of why people watch a certain kind of porn and what they're looking for. So it's not like we're just watching it for masturbation. We're also watching it to find out how things work, especially with double penetration, for example. A lot of people are just really curious to see this because they can't imagine it, how the body is capable to just take two dicks, three dicks, or I don't know, three dicks in a toy or whatever. You know, if you're curious, you're going to go look for it too. So we don't know whether somebody goes on to a certain porn to masturbate to it or to find out something else, maybe to learn also. You know, to quote uh, Patton Oswalt, the human rectum is nightmarishly elastic. And I just want to know exactly how elastic it can be. I'm just saying we're explorers. We're not addicts. We're explorers. Yeah, absolutely. We're the Lewis and Clark of butts. <laughs> and also, I just I think people need to understand that watching something in porn doesn't mean wanting to experience what you're seeing. So even if you really enjoy watching a gangbang, that doesn't mean you want to have or you're having a gangbang. I mean, that's the whole point of porn is seeing what you don't have in real life. It's about fantasy. It's why we love action movies. And, you know, like we don't watch movies in general that are about the things that we experience every day. And we don't necessarily want to be. Speak for yourself. I both want to be an Avenger and have a gangbang. <laughs> Preferably an Avenger-based gangbang. And I'm not saying you can. Exactly. And I'm not shaming anyone for wanting a gangbang. I'm just saying that it's in people's minds so much 
that like if 15,000 people are watching double penetration porn, 15,000 people are having double penetration. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but it's just not the case. Yeah. You know, it seems like so far from what I've been reading and seeing, it looks like uh, the porn addict groups, it indicates more of a stronger likelihood. It's a label reflecting cultural values, not really clinical ones. You know, frankly, I would liken the porn addiction recovery movement to really almost to the gay conversion therapy movement. Perhaps not that extreme, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely a, this doesn't fit the way that we think sex is supposed to work. So we're going to say it's broken. It's definitely that extreme. I think the comparison is totally valid. I mean, we just had Kanye coming out as a porn addict, which I think was like a picture-perfect example of this narrative. Because he said, I found my father's Playboy when I was five. Boom, I was addicted. (laughs) So it's again this like substance addiction idea of, you know accidentally snorting cocaine and then losing yourself in it for the rest of your life. Like there was an instant rewiring of your brain. This is how it's being framed. And then he said, God saved me from it. I found God. I found Jesus. Jesus (laughs) saved me from porn addiction. And that's such a typical story you'll find online and you'll find in ever so many churches at the moment. So there is no way we can think of porn addiction as a public discourse separately from religious discourse and from morality. I mean, in addition to that, it seems like the people who are, you know, suffering, quote, from a sex addiction aren't really addicted to sex. They're probably having problems pertaining to sexuality, like dysfunctional desire pattern, issues with intimacy, um, maybe another substance uh, problem that are, are causing them to have problematic sexual behavior. It just doesn't seem to correlate with, hey, I'm addicted with orgasming. Um, And even then, so, I mean, one way scientists have found to evaluate the presence of addiction, so, is, for example, put the addicted person in front of images of their addiction. And I was reading a study where, you know, they were measuring for a number of factors, and they found that no such reaction that uh, with people with hypersexuality, that brain researchers found no increase in dopamine production when presented with sexual pictures. And if anything, um, dopamine production correlated with arousal and sexual desire. But, you know, your body basically produces dopamine when you're psychologically aroused so your body can get ready for sexual activity. That doesn't mean that there's an issue and it doesn't correlate with what we normally see with addicted people anyway. I feel like there's just so much that, yeah. We do lean in way too heavily into the, this stimulates dopamine production and hence you're addicted. You know what else stimulates dopamine production? Getting a hug, petting a kitten. And these (gasps) things like different drugs will stimulate your dopamine production at different levels. Surprisingly, cocaine stimulates it way more than opiates do. Just yanks those. But I mean, it. it, uh, these make you addicted in very different ways. But like dopamine is not the one measure of is this addictive there there are a lot of behaviors or a lot of underlying psychological things but again no one has knocked off a convenience store to support their porn habit at least that i know of who knows i don't know your life (laughs) wait i want to be addicted to hugging kittens You know what? I saw the way that we reacted at that uh, to that adorable kitten at Girl Boner Media for their podcast. I'm just saying maybe we are addicted to kittens and we don't know it. It's just been normalized societal behavior. No kidding. If you just think about the hours of time spent 
watching cat videos on Instagram, <laughs> YouTube, and so on. Oh my God. Nobody's worried about it. It's Nobody's true. doing research on it. Like I haven't seen a study, you know, looking at people's brains while doing that or while watching ASMR videos. You know, there are so many other things that people spend hours and hours of their time with. But since they're not connected to sex, we're not as afraid of it. As much as we shame women for having more than, than one cat when they're single, I'm just saying, this is not <laughs> the behavior that we look at as, as problematic as liking porn. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's why I'm saying I think I think it's a strategy of those of the anti-porn movement. And then it's very much reinforced by the media to put it into these biological, chemical, medical terms, because you can't argue with it. If somebody says the science is there, this is what's happening in your brain. It's bad. We need to get rid of porn. What are you going to argue against this if you're, you know, just a common reader of this somewhere out there in America thinking, fuck, I'm fucked probably I'm addicted to like it's also scaring people so I do think that's a strategy to make it seem like it's not a moral judgment but then it always is as I just said it's totally connected to what kind of sex do we find acceptable and what kind of sex do we not find acceptable and one of the things that I think should make us very skeptical is that it's only about men the whole discourse is just about addicted men and like if this is actually a chemical process going on in the brain this should be happening to everyone this should be happening also to gay people for example it's very much about straight white men this whole discourse the reason why gay men are not addicted to porn is because they can have gym locker room sex i'm just saying hashtag not all gay men but i'm just saying that if you can have sex in the locker room, you're not going to go home and, and watch porn for the next seven hours. Maybe. I don't know your life. I'm just, maybe that's why. That's a myth. <laughs> maybe it's the readily available sex that is not viewed upon as bad within gay culture in general is part of the reason why we don't see as much porn addiction. That is my thesis and I could totally be wrong. <laughs> I think you're wrong because I think it's it's a misunderstanding that you only watch porn because you don't get sex in real life. That I think it's true. something we've learned to believe like the typical porn consumer is the ugly guy that nobody wants and he can't get an actual woman so he needs to turn to porn but i think that's an old stereotype that maybe has never been true but it's definitely not true anymore oh god no no it's, i mean <laughs> alice and i both watch porn with our partners so memers are still trying to perpetuate it god what is the most recent of the memes where um there's like a really ugly cartoon the coomer coomer yes coomer i haven't seen this yeah, Google Coomer. <laughs> How am I spelling this? C-O-O-M-E-R. Like oh yeah, Coomer I would have gotten that totally wrong. <laughs> I was like, K-U-M-E-R? <laughs> yeah, they're still trying to perpetuate this notion that, you know, if you can't get sex or you're lonely, I mean, oh, geez. you're going to go to porn. I mean, how about everybody goes to porn? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my husband and I will watch porn because we're just too lazy to have sex once in a while. A couple times a week. Okay, daily, but still. <laughs> I'll watch it because I see some really weird stuff that I'm like, I need to have that explained to me. This is my sex ed today. <laughs> I need to see how, how our clitoropodies feel when masturbating to this specific weirdness. <laughs> how much can the asshole stretch? Find out today. This is a new episode. Oh, my Endlessly. God. I just... I, 
I'm still scared to death of that egg butt plug. I saw a big one go in. I was going to send you the video. Oh, my God. So just to just to remind our readers and to let you know, Medita, uh, we so Bad Dragon, this company that makes some really, really neat toys, sent us a, a, each a gift box. Oh, fun stuff. And one of the things in mine. And I, I must have ordered the wrong size or they were like, let's screw with her. Uh, and I thought I'd ordered a normal ish sized butt plug that that's kind of shaped like an egg. And they're all really pretty and they're glow in the dark. This thing is professional grade ass stretching. I'm like, nah, nah. I don't I don't think I could ever like there's no there's we'd need the jaws of life to open up my butt that much for that thing. Like it's but you know what? I am not a quitter. I just they sent it they also sent us sufficient lube. So one day Oh my god, but, that lube is amazing. Right? I uh so just to clarify, this is not a paid advertisement. Uh they sent us this in PR, so we got it for free, but we got a chance to try out Bad Dragon's lube and it is fantastic. But that said, we'll do a quick little advertisement because they did send us some <laughs> yeah. fantastic toys. So if you are looking for a custom dildo, they actually make their toys between 50 to 150. It depends on the range, size, firmness. Basically, it's a build-your-own dildo. Oh, yeah. Do you want it a certain size? Do you want the skin on it a certain texture? Do you want it glow-in-the-dark? Do you want it purple and glow-in-the-dark? You can do all of that, and it's Do you amazing. want a dragon dick? You can have a dragon dick. I'm just saying, if you can get a dragon dick, get a dragon dick. You have time before Valentine's Day because you have to custom order these, so you need a couple of weeks. So all we're saying is, look, it's too late for Christmas. Go, go to the website <laughs> and you'll be fine for Valentine's Day. You're welcome. You will thank us later. When that big old dragon dick sheath shows up in the mail and, and you can literally say, I got a monster cock for you, baby. You will be happy with us. You will thank us. I wish we had a discount code to give you, but we don't. It's just that, like I said, they sent us these and we love them so much that we wanted you to, we want you to share in our clitoropathy's happiness. Honey, I know you finished watching Stranger Things and I know you like the Demogorgon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for the next dick to be Demogorgon dick. They do have one. Wait, what? Oh my God. Yeah, they have a Demogorgon themed dick. Y'all, get yourself that monster dick you've always wanted. Or that egg to stare at with terror. I might be biased, but I'm probably not going to say terrible things about a company that sent me about a 20-inch long tentacle. Hey, I'm, I'm just saying, you and I, we've reviewed other toys that have been sent to us for free, and they haven't gotten as good of reviews as the Bad Dragon ones. So, yeah, there's a giant fucking glow-in-the-dark tentacle sitting next to my bed that I keep looking at going, one day. <laughs> One day when I'm feeling particularly daring. So, Medita, one of the things that you also study and research is feminist porn. And, you know, what's funny is so often to me, I'll get the question asked, Alice, how do I just only watch feminist porn? So to which then I try asking, breaking down, it's like, okay, what do you think is feminist porn? They're like, well, ethically produced. I'm like, so all porn. Okay, cool. But I want to know for you, what is feminist porn? What is this thing you're specifically studying and why and how? And tell me more. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I want to say I think it's a very problematic label as any label, I guess, (laughs) because it can be instrumentalized. And there's always this notion of, as you said, this is feminist porn, this is good porn. And usually it's contrasted with mainstream porn, and this is bad porn. And I really don't want to do that. I find a lot of feminism in mainstream porn. So that's not what I'm trying to say. But if I speak of feminist porn, I do mean 
a particular branch of porn that is very conscious about their feminist agenda, as you said, that try to ethically produce porn. So also care about everybody feeling comfortable on set. As you correctly said, I would want any company to do that in a feminist company, feminist porn production. I would think that there are a lot of women, if not all women, included in the production process, that they very much have a female viewer in mind while doing this, that they're focusing on female pleasure, for example, not necessarily ending a porn with the male orgasm, but maybe with a female orgasm. So not making the external ejaculation, like the money shot, the cum shot, the ultimate goal of sex, for example, showing maybe more stimulation of the clitoris, stuff like that. I want to see far more man face buried nose deep in ass. That is a thing that we, that is, I would consider that feminist porn. I'm like, take care of my pleasure. All of it, all of it, <laughs> get in there. There does seem to be far more deference to the amount of filming that they do for a blowjob than there is for, you know, hey, look, I put my mouth on the clip for a second and, and on to the next thing. It's like, you need to do more than lick it once. Exactly, and we're, we're very much still... So for a long time, most of porn has been men creating porn for men. And I hate the idea. I think it's a very sexist idea to say that women want to see something else than men. So I really don't like reinforcing that idea. But if we just think in terms of bodies, if you have two bodies and both bodies want to be pleased, I think like a similar amount of time should be spent for pleasing each of these bodies. And if you think of it more in like film studies or media studies where we always care about like a perspective, who are we identifying with? For example, all the POV porn is male POV. We don't like if you get the reverse version, which is very rare, it's called female POV oh, because it's point. so oh, wow. uncommon to actually see sex yeah. from a woman's I never point even of thought view. Of that. We're we're trying to, to splice out the porn version of the Bechdel test, basically. <laughs> Are there two women having sex in this not for male viewing pleasure? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't realize how obvious male POV was until I was, I think I was at the AEEs earlier this year. I was with two guy friends. We were at a VR booth and we put the VR cameras on and it's filmed from a POV standpoint. So when you look down, you see a beautiful woman, you know, pleasuring a guy when i looked down i suddenly had a cock which is an amazing experience oh my god <laughs> i actually really enjoy watching vr porn from a male's perspective <laughs> now i have to check this out i feel this is a thing that has been missing from my, my sex brain but you, you really notice like once you see other images if you do see a female pov seed you're like I've never really seen this in porn. There are certain perspectives, certain angles and images that are new to you because your viewing convention is so much seeing this male perspective all the time that you don't even notice it anymore. So I do think it's a valid approach to say, we're changing this, we want other images, and also we want other bodies. So with feminist porn, I also mean being very conscious about showing diversity in terms of different bodies different genders, different sexual orientations, and um, also just different body types, different ethnicities. So all of these things is something I connect with feminist porn, but I'm not saying that none of this is happening in mainstream porn. But -hmm. it's, of course, more connected also to an alternative scene, to smaller production companies. 
So I think it's a valid approach and it has its own history with somebody like Nina Hartley, as you've had on your show, or Annie Sprinkle. Like It's not like feminist porn was born in the last five years. It's another narrative that I find annoying. Erika Lust did not start feminist porn, <laughs> but it's an ongoing tradition that is becoming more visible now. I, th I think there's kind of an expanded awareness that there's more than just gonzo porn out there now. And it's like when we first got into this, the number of people who said to us things like, uh, you know, porn only has this I only said why you know why aren't there more body types it's like have you googled have you looked for these things they're <laughs> out there now yeah. in droves absolutely I totally agree but also like you could also make feminist porn gonzo porn you know so like gonzo porn is the way you would show the sex without the narrative go straight into the sex have a handheld camera stuff like that you could still use that in a feminist porn production That's a problem I have with the public discourse about feminist porn is that it's often deeply sexist. Like women want narrative and women want romance and they want, you know, vanilla sex and a little bit of music and put a nice filter on it. And then it's feminist porn. I'm really, really annoyed. Oh, my God. By that I would not discourse. click on that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Just take the opposite. Don't give me <laughs> candlelight. Show me someone treating me a little mean. I want to hear them telling me your credit score is low and that will just turn me really on so so much yeah. like that's all that's all I need is someone hung from a ceiling I'm not interested <laughs> yeah but you just you do want to make sure that you know that this person is consensually hanging from the ceiling <laughs> I, yeah I want them consensually being boned while hanging from a ceiling I want to see some in-depth suspension work followed by them saying please sir may I have another because see they were asking nicely it's look polite. I like Cirque du Soleil but with anal <laughs> Good for you. Wait, the Cirque du Soleil you've been to didn't have anal? Oh, I didn't go to the Vegas one. Gotcha, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Hashtag what happens here stays here. <laughs> Except for herpes, that shit will bite you. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good thing to have. It's an important conversation to have, but it definitely shouldn't be instrumentalized to be dividing porn into good porn and bad porn. It's just different. It's a different approach. And I think that's valid. But I don't like a lot of the conversations that are being had about it. Also, if you call it like porn for women or even worse, women friendly porn, <laughs> which makes me feel like a dog. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, don't worry. We took the chocolate out. So it's safe for you. It's <laughs> I, like, all right. So this is embarrassing. I read Twilight. In my defense, I was on a lot of drugs because I just had shoulder surgery. But I remember when it came. Okay, look, I was I was in my twenties once. Okay, uh, but I am uh, not shaming any media consumption, <laughs> including Twilight. Oh, I'm shaming you. I'm shaming <laughs> you. Look, look, I was I was on a lot of drugs for for that <laughs> surgery. But I remember as soon as I got out of my Vicodin induced fugue state and the fourth book came out, I was like, How did I think the first three were okay? What? How strong were these drugs? I was on. <laughs> Uh, but I heard people referring to it as porn for women. I'm like, it's a book about a teenager who doesn't have sex. How is this porn? You know what's porn for women? Porn is porn for women. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm totally with you. But what's interesting and also a little scary, to be honest, is that a lot of women are actually attracted by this kind of, you know, by erotica, by soft porn. And I strongly believe that's not because we're different from uh, men. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> exactly. And I 
I'm 100% convinced there is no biological reason for that in terms of genders having different kinds of sex drives, different sexual preferences, and so on. But I do believe it's our social role that we've never actually learned to think of us as sexual beings, as women. So we don't allow ourselves to be turned on by certain things, or we don't even allow ourselves to look at certain things. And that's something I find sad, actually, how many women are so disconnected from their own fantasies, from the clitoris. <laughs> yeah, it's because we've we've been told so much. This is bad. This is off the grid. This is you know this is just for perverts. And I'm exactly. sorry, but you don't get to the point where you're comfortable with your sexuality and feeling out and trying everything that's going to work for you if you're just arbitrarily cutting yourself off based on uh, societal standard. Other than than the big nose, you know, the no sex with kids or animals. Obviously, we're not. We're not saying go to every corner of your pleasure center if that's in it, because no. But if you cut yourself off at, say, you know, before tentacle porn or before anime or before whatever it is that, you know, you see and go, ooh, that's that's pinging something, uh, but it's too weird. That's not honoring your own pleasure. Of course, but we can blame women for that because we've never been taught to really embrace our sexuality. Our sexuality has been repressed for hundreds of years and we just haven't been set free or haven't set ourselves free from that repression. And I think that's something that needs to be happening. And it's not happening if we don't get proper sex education, where we also talk about pleasure. I mean, most women don't know what the full clitoris even looks like, like the organ. <laughs> oh my God, there's also a cat. <laughs> Stop showing us your pussy. <laughs> Look, I just I just wanted to get my clitoropathies out there. No, my, uh, I, have, I have three cats and one of them uh, has another addiction. This one is addicted to just suckling on you. Like, I think there was some child childhood trauma for this cat because at least twice a day this cat latches onto one of my sleeves and just leaves a wet mark of drool it's uh this, yeah oliver is adorable and sweet and very lovey but also i have a drooling cat who thinks that my sweater can be turned into a nipple for for his comfort it's a fetish in and of itself for cats i guess Whew. i'm sure there's a self-help group for cats like that <laughs> But going back actually to speaking about erotica and visual aids. So yeah, I mean, historically, if you look at the timeline of porn, I mean, porn is a relatively, frankly, new medium of us having accessibility to it in the way we do have it via the internet. And the content that has been historically produced, let's say the last 50 years, has been generally towards the male gaze. Now, thankfully, in the last 20, 15, 20 years, you know, a lot of that's been changing. Hell, the last five years is so much different than the last 20 years ago. Yeah. But that said, erotica is something that I feel like consistently has kind of been like an okay pass for women, which is why yeah. I'm not surprised that erotica novels just sell like crazy. I, it doesn't surprise me that Fifty Shades of Grey, as terrible as it was for the BDSM community and things it teaches. Oh my God. Guys, seriously, don't read it. It's terrible. Do not take your sex advice. We've con a while ago, we considered watching it and comparing it to, say, Secretary or The Training of O. <laughs> what we're trying to say is, yeah, it's not surprising that someone's going to want to pick that up and read it because it's going to be more socially acceptable than, unfortunately, a woman watching porn. Do you know 
how many times, you know, when I say freely that I watch porn, people look at me like I'm crazy as opposed to if a guy in the room said it. Yeah. I mean, totally. Yeah. It's a little inappropriate me still saying that, you know, I watch porn when I'm at the grocery store, but look. Hey, look, I get turned on when I'm in the dairy section too. Yeah. I can't help myself around a couple of pairs of big, juicy grapefruits. I'm just saying it is impossible. You walk past that watermelon bit and whew, you're off. You can't just comically not hold them next to your boobs for effect. <laughs> Are these what we wanted, honey? These two? These very juicy melons? Oh, Lord. And it's not my fault every application that asks for what your job is. I write porn reviewer. <laughs> oh, my God. So so true story. Uh, it's I and I, I just mentioned this on my Facebook page. I just finished recording a show for the Weather Channel. Like, and I'm, I'm really excited about Woo! this full season of a new show. And I'm on it being silly and science. Anyways, but like I got there and I'm like, did they not tell the powers that be at the Weather Channel what I do? They had. I'm like, this is on all my social media. I'm not hiding it. It's out there. And, you know, apparently porn is so mainstream that it's fine that I dissect it for a side gig and I can get on to the fucking weather channel. I am on cable now, damn it. <laughs> I think that we want to tell ourselves that we are a very porn negative culture because it lets us feel good about ourselves because we're doing what's morally right. But at the same time, we all on some level know that this is something that we enjoy, that we use. And I think that when we get more comfortable with the fact that this is, you know, Normal. in the ether, it's something we all, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's something we all do. It's something that like, I, I think that we're going to get a little bit more sexually healthy. What, you're saying that the 16 U.S. states that passed resolutions recognizing as a public health crisis, they're wrong? 16 what? states? They are wow. wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. Porn as a public health crisis? Sure, sure. Blech. Should I go through the list or no? Yes, yes. Shame. <laughs> Name and shame these states. So if you were, if you're listening to us and you're in one of these states... Right to your fucking center. Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia. Oh, and bonus state, Texas, uh, because they held a hearing on the resolution April of this year, and it, we're still waiting to see if it's passed. And Ohio is discussing it, too. You know, Texas gets on the list just because Ted Cruz is from there and he claimed that the Bible said that there's nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're allowed to masturbate. And yet, Ted Cruz, we know what the fuck you're up to. You know what? I actually found a line that says you can't own more than eight dildos. Wait, what? Yeah. That's a law. Which state is this? This is in Texas. Uh, it's a law. Can you not purchase them or can you not have them in your possession? You're technically not supposed to have them uh, in your possession because at that point you're considered a dealer. Um, what? But yeah, no, this is on the books. It's just non-enforced. Y'all, Texas, you have some shit to work out. Like you just, you won't even let people... At what point does it count? Does it does it have to be a, a vibrating thing or does it just have to be a vaguely no. dick-shaped object? Because I'm just saying there are hairbrush handles that I'm sure a bunch of teenage girls who are just coming into puberty are going to be very sad that it's going to be taken away from them by the state. Not speaking from personal experience at all. I'm just glad that you can own 10 guns in Texas. You know, the But jokes aside, if you look at these at this list of states that have declared porn a public health hazard, all of these states They are more comfortable with guns than with yeah, dildos. have a big problem with gun deaths. And if you look at the map, like it's no surprise that this pretty much looks like a election map of the United States. So this oh is also God. telling you that this decision is connected to values, not just to science. Yeah. 
our friend uh, Bridget Fetessy, who was on the show a couple months ago, she she said, yeah, it's interesting that the party that voted in Donald Trump, the guy who had a bunch of affairs with porn stars, you know, she listed off a handful of things about the party. She's like, it's interesting that these are the people that are covering, that are making excuses for the president who cheated on his pregnant wife with a porn star is now trying to ban porn while saying that the president did nothing wrong. Hypocrisy everywhere. Oh, and there. In addition, there were a couple uh, Congress people that actually wrote a letter to the current AG, uh, AG Barr, that President oh Trump God. needs to start enforcing obscenity laws. <laughs> Sorry. Hey guys, Just, don't you what? love America? <laughs> what Obscen- Like I can't believe there are still obscenity laws. But honestly, I I think. These things are getting worse. I mean, you just said you don't think our culture is as porn ne- negative as we like to think of it. But if you think of social media, for example, how one platform after another is closing down for not safe for work yeah. content or for sex workers, how hard it is to, you know, even, I don't know, get your payments done, be it PayPal, be Tumblr, be, I mean, there's so many platforms, Twitter just changed their guidelines. So it's getting worse and worse for sexual content online. And I'm, I'm honestly a little afraid of the things that are going on. I would love to just laugh about it. But yeah. Did you guys see what happened recently to Alice Little, who we haven't had on the show a while ago? Yeah. She was the uh, top bunny from the uh, the bunny ranch in Nevada. She basically was kicked off of Google. They shut down her YouTube page. They took like in her Google Docs, a ton of her documents were just poof, gone. Uh, and these had, you know, these had her financial records. These had her client records. They just erased everything because they were no longer working with sex workers. I'm like, how is this? How is it OK that the sex worker gets her account shut down, but not the people who paid her? And bear in mind that she's a legal sex worker yes. in the state of Nevada. She is 100% above board. So it's not that she's not above board. It, it's she's, she's working a legal business and apparently they're allowed to just, depending on the legal business you work in, you can lose access to all of the different social media sites and all of the different resources that other people can use to run their businesses. Like making sex work into a business and making it legal and allowing it to be regulated helps out everybody who participates in it from the owners of the brothel to the sex worker to the client. When it's all above board, it makes it safer for everyone. Amen. We can't even handle that. (laughs) I think ultimately what's happening is that as a culture and society, we're trending towards normalizing the idea that, hey, everybody masturbates. Unfortunately, though, when it comes to speech, because people still want to regulate the concepts of things like sex and morality and whatnot, unfortunately, porn and sex work will always be on the front lines. You know, I'm sorry, conservatives, it's not your speech. It's sex work. That's going to get hit first. Not Alex Jones. I'm sorry. (laughs) Not Louis Farrakhan. If you want to like bitch about him, that's fine. But like, it's still not him. It's sex workers. But even masturbation. I mean, honestly, I think we're having an anti-masturbation moment. You know, if you think of the no fap movement, no not November, you know, all these things. It's not like it's the majority of people, but there is a trend. And the whole porn addiction discourse is totally an anti-masturbation discourse. And if you're being treated, you're asked to stay away from from masturbation, be it with or without porn. And I just feel like we're back in the 19th century when I hear some of these people talk and read some of those texts and I'm I'm, I'm scared for my right to masturbate. I don't know. I think 
it's really oh it, it feels like we're moving backwards of course not if you're in you know if we're in our happy porn bubble and like the three of us talking here you feel like we've made such progress but in the society at large we fixed everything with an hour and a half podcast we can do it <laughs> yeah. but but getting society to come around to it that might take might take a little bit more time <laughs> you're right i mean i was even reading a study where um I mean, frankly, when it comes to pornography and the sex addiction industry, you know, they make claims for treatments and successes with very little, if any, data to back up those claims. And frankly, treatment can be costly. It could go up as much as $677 per day for inpatient care for sex addiction. That feels kind of predatory. Of course. And you can you can buy self-help books. You can install porn blocking software. There are all kinds of apps that are being sold. It's definitely also a money-making industry and there are people that profit off of porn addiction which is another thing that should make us skeptical people profit from it it's driven by right-wing groups it's driven by the church it's driven by old white men <laughs> mainly so i think these are all signals <laughs> that we should at least be critical about this discourse oh don't worry there's plenty of horrible women <laughs> Oh, yeah. We'll find them. <laughs> there are good people on both sides and there are really horrible people on both sides. But more on one of them, though. Just saying. Oh, no, definitely. And it's another interesting thing. But it has been like this ever since the 70s that in the anti-porn movement, radical feminists and the right wing movement, especially the religious right, are joining hands and fighting this fight together, which may seem strange at first sight. Oh but it's been like this for, yeah, more than... 35 years and it stays like that like the people that attack me online for example for teaching this and for talking about this and trying to normalize this are often one of both radical feminists or right-wing people that's frustrating this reminds me of something that was said actually when uh the whole stormy daniels quote scandal hit and as much as as much as i clearly have my contention with jenna jameson as we discussed last episode just as a quick reminder she is an anti-vax nut job anyway when the stormy daniels thing happened one of the things that she tweeted out was it's not just the republicans that are being horrible about this look at the way that the left is willing to treat a sex worker as though the sex worker proves that someone did something bad and it's like it was just, I, I feel it's kind of gross. Look at how easily the left and how happily the left was willing to say, see, he did bad things because he had sex with a porn star. And I think that that's kind of a, a problem with how, quote, the woke crowd still operates because it's still it's still bad to have sex work. Uh, it's still bad to engage in these things. And I, I think that we really need to work on that before we can say that we're, quote, better than the guys trying to shut down porn. Yeah. I mean, frankly, there's uh, traction in states such as New York and D.C. to start promoting uh, decriminalization as a whole, which is fantastic. But you'll have people on the left. So, for example, Seth Meyers' wife is a lawyer who is oh, trying boy. to promote the, quote, equality model, which is aka the Nordic model, which is not equal at all, because what it does is, is essentially it decriminalizes sex work, but it prosecutes the Johns and the buyers and the clients. So essentially it makes sex work so unsafe. And we yeah. could go into full detail on that. But what I'm trying to say is it punishes the Johns, it punishes the buyer. So what makes it equal that you're punishing men? Because why? Because 
Do you think that women are punishing themselves by doing sex work? What is equal about this at all? I mean, there is an argument to be made that decriminalizing and functioning within a system that does not automatically go after either the Johns or the sex workers, but will allow uh, Johns to be charged if they assault a sex worker. I think that's kind of a, a model of decriminalization that could work. However, if decrim in this situation just means that it's not automatically illegal, but they're still going to be hunting down and prosecuting for it, that's a problem. Essentially, if you assault a sex worker, it's still assault, you know, whether it's a sex worker or any other employee. So frankly, I mean, the way I see it is it should just be decriminalized completely, you know, not just, you know, with contingencies, because with contingencies, it's been proven to not work in a number of countries and a number of issues, which we should have a whole episode on eventually. Yes. Yeah. We're we're looking for someone for that. It's a complicated topic, but definitely nothing has ever become safer through criminalizing it. So you mean making it illegal to have a thing that you enjoy that doesn't hurt any other people does not make people stop using it? No, (laughs) no. It works so well with cannabis and alcohol. So, Medina, going back to your research. um, So anything else that you've been studying or looking at that you find fascinating and you have to tell the world? There's so many things, but I think in general, I just through working on this, I have realized that porn is still such a big taboo. I admit to being or having been naive about this when I started working on this like five years ago. And there's such a need and such an urge to talk about porn, which is why I think a podcast like this is amazing because it really helps to just normalize this as a topic, to have also women talk about, be it their job as in porn, be it their porn consumption. It's just something that's part of all our lives. And I think we should talk about it more. And there's such a lack of conversation about it and of nuanced conversation that is not being like it's bad and not panicky conversation, but actual conversation that is not demonizing it. And I think, yeah, we just need more spaces like this podcast to just talk about it and make fun about it, you know, just be relaxed about it and exchange our thoughts about it. And I love having that opportunity and I love that you're doing that. So... And we're grateful for the work you're doing, too. I I like that there are people working on this that nobody would look at and go, you have a gross agenda. You're looking at this as an intellectual topic. And I I think that you present in a way that people won't look at you and go, oh, you're trying to twist this. You're just it's it's wonderful that we see that we're getting more people that are are working on this in a way that's academic and that people won't push back on. So we we really appreciate the work you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I guess, confirming how our culture and society works, how things I'm saying sometimes have more legitimacy than things that a sex worker is saying, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever because they are so much closer to their work. But still, I feel like I can take their voices into other spaces and have them being taken more seriously by some people who would never actually listen to a sex worker, which is sad in the first place. And I wish it would be their voices in the first place. And I'm hoping we're arriving there. But that's something very rewarding about my job. I think that I can use my privilege in this way. And um, it's strange how people listen to you in a different way or look at you in a different way when you present as an academic as opposed to as a sex worker. And that's very annoying, but I'm trying to at least use this. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's like you you have a privilege, you're using it in a way that helps people. And it's I think that Alice and I get a little bit of that too, where I've seen, I'm sure that there are people who would be mean, nasty to some of the sex workers that we have on our show, but it's almost like they're like, no, this one's okay. They vetted them. And it's it's it you can feel that attitude sometimes. Like I sorry for going back to the Jenna Jameson example, but we're gonna do this one more time because I, you know, we had a little bit of a tussle about vaccines on the internet. And when I posted, you know, us a, a screen cap of our tweets back and forth, the first thing that people came up with was, who's going to listen to a, why would you listen to a porn star on this? It's like, the fact that she did porn is the reason why we know who she is. Yes. But that is completely irrelevant to what we're doing right now. has nothing to do. Exactly. People could not hop on her faster for being a porn star when they should have been just hopping on, wow, she's wrong. She's anti-vax. And it's like, there are a ton of porn stars and people in, in the adult industry who are pro-vaccine and who are who believe that science is a thing. Let's not throw out the whole human, you know, because they do porn. Let's just tell people that they have a bad idea. But it's it's kind of, it was gross watching my followers who know that I'm pro-sex and know that I'm going to stand up for a sex worker attack her for that. And I think that it's sad that Alice and I can talk about uh, porn in ways that a sex worker and somebody who uh, is in the industry could not. It's interesting to hear that coming from someone else that they've had that experience. Yeah. So- What we're saying is the three of us are privileged as hell. Uh, So we are all here, like pretty much like white cis women who are talking about our privilege in the sex worker world. Oh, yeah. It is a weird space. It's like, hey, uh, I'm glad that we can use this privilege for good. But I also feel like this is a thing that shouldn't exist at all, that there shouldn't be a this person is more credible about porn because they're not in the industry. Oh, God, no. If anything, like I am like the least credible person. Don't talk to me. Like Ask me for referral. Yeah, it's we're we're just a conduit by which hopefully you'll find information from the real people who are in it. But that's such a weird point too. I often get like how I'm might be too involved with the porn industry or if people see that like porn people are following me or if I post a picture from I don't know Xbiz or something like this, then this is the first thing that people will tell me like how can you be a scholar of porn if you also watch porn, if you're also a fan, if you're also friends with people. <laughs> and I'm like, how can you be a scholar how of porn? How dare you be nice and, to people yeah. who openly but I mean, fuck? It should be the other way around. I think people who are studying porn and never watch porn and never talk to people in the industry and never try and become part of that community should be blamed for not making that effort and not having these conversations. And um, yeah, it's just it's stigmatized everywhere. It's also stigmatized in academia. And that's just proving the whole point of how much stigma around porn sucks. Yep. If anything, this is how we get more researchers who think, oh, yeah, deviant behavior, ass eating. If by deviant, they mean awesome. (laughs) So, uh, guys, we're going to make ass eating and anal apparently a non-deviant behavior. And we're going to ask researchers to do the same. So, Medita, uh, thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, That could be our new MAGA, make ass eating great again. I think this phrasing just should never be used (laughs) again. Make anything great again. Just the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, it's we have to we have to kill that letterism. Let's find new words. <laughs> oh my god! I feel like we could interview for you for three hours and still uh, not cover every part of it that we want to. It's I, we have to have you back on again and do this another time. Sure, anytime. Any chance? I know there was Xbiz in Berlin. Uh, any chance you're traveling to the states for Xbiz or AVNs or AEs? I would love, love, love to, but I'm an underpaid. <laughs> academic so there's no way I can afford it right now but I'm hoping maybe 
you know, for my PhD, I can reward myself with a trip to California or something like this. I would love to. So, hey, patrons, do, do us a favor and make sure that she can afford to come to the AE. It's for research purposes. It's for re- <laughs> This is for science. Set up a GoFundMe and I'm sure our humans will be on it very quickly because they are they are very committed to science. Yeah, to the science. Medita, in the interim, where can our listeners find you, find more of you and or your work? The easiest way, I guess, is just to find me through Twitter. My handle is at msoming, that's O-E-M-I-N-G. And then you'll find me posting about stuff there. You'll also find a link to my academia page there where you can see my publications and interviews and papers I gave and stuff like that. So I think Twitter is the best point to start. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. And we have some fantastic patrons to thank today, as usual. So today we want to thank John Stewart, Bethany Nicole, Bob Cole, Elisa, Dennis, Eric H., Graham Smallwood, Howard Lee, Ken Aubrey, Mark Romer, Samuel Jennings, T. Maeve, Stephen Jones, and many, many others. By the way, if you want to become a patron as well, just head over to patreon.com slash two girls on mic or two girls on mic.com. And Yvette, where can our listeners find you? Y'all can find me on the Weather Channel. Not yet, though. Uh, y'all can <laughs> find me at Twitter and Instagram at the Cybabe and at, on Facebook.com slash Cybabe, where I am serving up snark science and the occasional dick joke. Alice, where can our listeners find you and the podcast? You guys can find me over at Rational Blonde on Twitter, uh, but you guys can find the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TGOM Podcast, and of course, share it with your friends. By the way, if you have not yet left us a review on iTunes, do so because we are giving away a clone a willy. We want you to clone your dick and or vagina. We don't care. We want you to clone it. We want you to stick whatever your favorite body part is in this so that you can give it to a friend. I'm just saying, if you love a Especially friend- Especially when you tell them to go fuck yourself they can do it literally i'm saying you can you can indeed fuck yourself with a clone of willy kit or a clone of pussy kit whatever your kink is finally and we've both played with these kits and they are fun so i'm just saying leave us a review get entered uh no purchase necessary of course get entered into win one of these from us all right so guys thanks for joining us this week and we will see you later bye 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 bye